0: Hello, my name is Jack Oatway, and I am Jay Oatway,
1: and we welcome you back to another episode of Like Dragon, Like Sun. Two generations talking about the world's greatest role-playing game, Dungeons & Dragons. That's right. Fifth edition. Yeah, mostly. Well, yeah. True. Obviously, I, I bring the old-timey, whiny experience of having played previous editions. Uh, mm. But I have to say, if I had to play just one edition for the rest of my life, it would be fifth edition. Yeah, it's, it's solid. I know some people
0: out there will disagree with us, but I think it's approachable. You know, it's modular,
1: which I love and, about you know, it. We weren't planning to talk about this on this episode, but like... Just as a sort of warm up act to okay. our, our coming stuff. I'm into it. I'm just I'm just gonna put that out there that say that anybody right now who's going on about, oh yeah, when sixth edition comes out, blah, 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 just no, just stop. Just stop right now. <laughs> there is no sixth edition in the works. We're coming out. Fifth edition's gonna be here for ages. I, stop how are your rumor tired mongering. Of edition? What I don't what know. are people missing? And I feel like I feel like they're like I think they're misunderstanding how invested Watsi and Hasbro edition, above yeah. that as well is really into what's going on right now. They have no shortage of fans or user base. Yeah, They, every they time have they, no reason to they reinvent put out the wheel. a new book three times a year and they sell a million copies of the damn thing. Um, they got a good are doing great. Going. And I like it. The new editions come out when old editions fail. That's kind of what happens. In 5th edition is in full force. Yeah, currently, it's working hard. So... Uh, if you're one of those sort of listeners out there who disagrees and hates Fifth Edition for some reason, well, I'm so sorry. Well, I hope we can convince you um, to. If you maybe if enjoy you're one of the old win guys win. like me, who are like, Yeah, oh, you young whippersnappers don't the, know all these how, tieflings. How, and how good it used to be and... back in the days when Dwarf was a whole class unto itself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, elves too. Don't forget Elves. Um, yeah, I, I I actually have been doing this fun thing recently where I've been comparing the original Ravenloft model uh, module. Mm. With uh, the wording in the current Curse of Strahd text, right? And and they edited in a few places, but you know, just a little tip of the hat to the old uh, uh, to Tracy uh, Hick- Hickman who wrote the original one and his wife. Um, I actually like some of their flavor text boxes a little bit better. Oh yeah, they were edited. They were edited for space. I think they were all like trimmed mm. a little bit. Um, in the current one and because that they sometimes lost just a little bit of a little bit of that extra flavor a little bit of the spooky wookiness of things Um, so I've actually gone back and sort of cut and paste into my uh, I use one note for tracking all my DM notes so I've sort of uh, been bringing up a few few of the old time uh, boxes for my for my players and so yeah okay maybe not everything in 5e is always the bestest but you know at the same time there's nothing to stop you from reaching back grabbing uh something cool from from D and D gone past and bringing it forward totally uh and that's the beauty of this game yeah
0: definitely i mean i mean you see it a lot with curse of straw my game less so i don't really have a lot of experience with previous editions it's something maybe you can speak to a little bit more but
1: uh, but yeah, I, I suppose, try to add a lot. I suppose actually, well. what we were going to talk about today—well, uh, kind of related in some ways of what we add to Fifth Edition, you know. Yeah. So I mean, you, you've been running a homebrew game. I have. In a and homebrew setting. In a homebrew setting, and we were going to talk a little bit about traveling mm. today. Was our primary theme sure.
0: exploration,
1: long distances.
0: Maybe your party has to trek through. Sure, sure.
1: And this is something that's been around environments for, for a long time, for you know? ever and ever in the game. Um, and is often referred to as one of the three pillars of adventure: sure. uh, exploration. Right now, exploration isn't always just traveling. Traveling actually no. can sometimes be kind of
0: boring. True, traveling is often like, all right, skip ahead. Fifteen days later, mark off fifteen
1: rations for all of you. Yeah, uh, you like, could do that. Yeah, if you're if you're sort of like much more of a destination, yeah, sort of person. But I, I don't know. some people I've, say I've the journey. To, <laughs> I've the started, journey started to appreciate is, the journey a little bit more. Half the adventure.
0: Yeah, and I've started to do some things. I'm not like super arduous to a point where it's like, what happens morning? What happens, you know, I don't really care. Uh, what we, I usually focus in uh, is general happenings with weather, seasons, um, and then I have a whole list of things that can happen depending on what characters role. There's a general rule, which I've heard with traveling, if you have a system for it, is that no two days should like start or end the same way which I agree with to some degree that you shouldn't, I mean, eventually if things become repetitive, then players can start to game it or want to just skip past it, which I understand completely. Um, And so, though my system does start with a roll of a d20, I try to shift up which player's rolling the d20 uh, every once in a while, not every once in a while, every day I try and switch it up. Some players are very insistent that they roll, but um, I try to convince them to give the reins over to other people. Although some people like that their character is though the one rolling often I'll have a ranger role um in the party. Um although sometimes my hexblade tends to be a little bit too keen and fast on the die. Um but what is this process that I have?
1: Yeah, well that's what we've come to discover. Um so uh, you know just to set this up a little bit there if how you want to run travel in your game really is largely up to you as a dm um i suppose our public service announcement here is to you know to make a to come up with some sort of if you're especially if you're running a longer campaign Mm. some sort of little system of how you want to do it if it's a big part of your game if it's not you feel free to skip really skip ad the whole point i I guess yeah i guess i'm trying to encourage you not to skip it completely I mean, at the same time, I'm not saying you have to have to make a gigantic big deal out of it. No. But come up with a little something. Um, You know, like for me, even in the Curse of Strahd, time between destinations isn't huge in Barovia. But I still have a little bit of a random chart that (laughs) isn't all that random. I mean, it's kind of curated is more what it is of what could happen. Some range of good things, some range of bad things. Largely, also just for me as a DM, so that it's it adds a little bit of unknown to my game, mm. um, and I think I think you're a fan of this as well, right? The I love idea the idea of random. The, it's something. a little bit of a random thing. It's,
0: it's a similar idea to Wild Magic in a way. I mean, although they're very different concepts, the idea that so much different things could happen based off of the dice, you know, yeah. it's a part of the joy of the game. You know, the reason we have skill checks, attack rolls, is that variability, that chance, that helps tell the story. And I really give the reins to the dice. When it
1: comes to shaping what happens exactly. from day to day, so this is this is great because we don't, as DMs, have to do a ton of prep work. Mm. Um, we are really going to be just improvising this, depending on what the dice decide to do, right? And I think our players know this as well. So random travel stuff that happens, um, I think players are very a lot more like sort of co- like cooperative and kind of rolling with it because they know that this is. This is just part of this sort of journey between places, right? That they haven't been given a particular piece of the puzzle to solve. This isn't a piece of the main piece of the story. This isn't, Mm. you know, intrinsic to their quest. This is, you know, supplemental to their quest. This is the stuff that, you know, the friends they met along the way. True. I mean, almost every story out there a part of it's the journey I mean Lord of the Rings would
0: be a lot shorter if they skip the journey I'll say that arrive at Mordor that's it drop the ring we're done
1: <laughs> you know? thank god that's and there's over. stuff
0: between the way but if we said okay let's just skip you going through the forest skip you going through it, yeah. there's well there's some parts of it happen, that are story bits you know? right and there's Very some true. bits
1: that are like I said just they're kind of just encounters with stuff that's along the way yeah um Okay, first I want to ask a little bit. How do you deal with travel pace? What do, you, do you have a rule, a setting for that? I do. do you have I mean, about... my
0: setting is fairly magical. Uh, and there's a lot of, I mean, general lore about each major nation. I don't get too worried about you know subcultures and whatever. Um, not saying whatever. I mean, a lot of people really enjoy that nuance. I simply don't have the brain capacity to do that and all the other things I need to do in a day. And so I like to focus on like the general themes of each location that a player's in sort of tweaked to the tune of whatever time of year it might be. Um, for this big journey I just had, which was four sessions long, um, just them going to a place and getting back home, um, I, it was midwinter. The entire journey was winter, only starting to touch spring at the end of the journey, taking over a month of traveling in total. It was around 30 days of traveling. Uh, every day, something can happen. I never choose to skip any day in particular. Every single day, the characters wake up, roll a d20 to see how the day goes. Again, I sort of mentioned that I shuffle it around a little bit. Uh, and this d20 kind of dictates things that can happen. There's still a large versatility um, that comes with whatever result is rolled. Um, but it's sort of a, a starting point to see how well the days went, you know, or how... like Usually it's the extremes that are or better or worse, Um for example, a one is terrible weather conditions in winter. That was always heavy blizzards, heavy snowfall, right. rushing mm-hmm. winds, thick snow. And there's snow.
1: and there's stuff in the DM's guide about that as a wilderness uh, hazard, right? Yeah, my punishment is never to make the journey longer. Cause
0: yeah, I, that that can lead you to yeah, a sort of hole felt, that takes. For more those and of you who are Critical
1: Role fans out there, you might agree with this as well. Towards the end of campaign mm-hmm. two, when they were trekking across the north, um, the adding the day is just it just it did sort of feel like that. I mean
0: It can add, make sense in some things, but it's like half it your table drag, is like adding another it drags day or removing the story another, out of it. It's like look, we have fifteen days to get here. It's a fifteen day journey, okay? Maybe it's sixteen, maybe there's things that shorten sure. it
1: down, but that's not how my system And especially works. if you are running a campaign at home mm. where you know, trying, if the chairs. Players trying to get, to take a, a trying to cut, get everybody then. together, you know, is is hard enough. You wanna try and get maximum value out of it stretching it out for just more days of everybody sitting in the snow doesn't seem like that much fun no i mean if things are happening in the snow that can be fun but sure but again like i said it's this is like trying to strike that balance between you know immersive feelings of uh, like travel adventure and travel that we're going someplace and that uh, then as a player you really do Respect distances in a game and feel mm. like oh my god, my characters went to the end oh, of the earth. Yeah, we've gone so far. And it so really far, felt like you know, we went to the end of the earth. Together, it took us a while know? to get there, and it was hard, and we almost died. And you know that that should be part of that feeling. Mm. So it's good to put travel in, but at the same time, if you're just like oh well, for the next twenty three sessions we're playing, you're going to be in the snow, trudging along, and it's like okay, this is boring.
0: Well, if it's just trudging, then definitely it is. I, it's funny how unlucky my players truly were in their escapades, I believe over 50% of their roles were between the numbers 2 and 8, which also coincide with a number of events that can happen. The largest chunk um, between the numbers under 10, 2 through 8. There is poor weather conditions as well, not like freak storm, Groundhog's Day style, but a little still terrible weather, you know, still blizzards, still heavy snow, still, you know high winds. And I have them roll a DC 20 minus the roll from 2 to 8. So the save is always varying. It gets worse the lower you go.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, And if they fail, it's exhaustion all around. Resistance to cold would have negated this, but this happens no matter what. I mean, this changes in the environment. This was my, what I had rule-wise for the winter. Thick storm is exhaustion. In some blazing heat, traveling to the desert, I'd probably have something similar. Um, But as spring started to come, I had, you know, the melting snow turns into, you know... Like big landslides of melting ice that takes, erodes, you know, things with it. And um, that can lead to you losing items uh, as well. I mean, as we, they were coming back out, uh, there were buzzing flies, with swamps, which, con save, was either exhaustion or a disease they picked up. As they're traveling through the, you know, these this swampy terrain now. Yeah, you know, nothing, or, nothing
1: like a swamp for like always being the place that people catch diseases, right? True. I mean,
0: hey, vectors for insects,
1: just lots of stagnant. Nobody's water. ever like out in the desert and they're like, you know,
0: how did I how yeah. did I get trench foot out here? Right, right, true. But there's still lots of little scorpions running about, and there might be heat. Yeah, there's heat well, exhaustion's the other way. And extreme deal with that, heat right. and extreme cold are those two things which may cause exhaustion, and there's actually rules for that. Yeah, yeah, it's
1: in the DM's guide. Mm. Um, I believe we've talked about it many times yeah. with wilderness and, 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 and It's an important one. know extreme cold, extreme heat. True. I have it on-speed on dial. Heavy precipita- should it come up? Precipitation, uh, high altitude. Mm. Um, but should we
0: not do poor weather? Those are, I I don't need to roll to see what the weather is. The d20 itself determines to me what the weather, how bad it's going right. to be. This is sort of one aspect. The first aspect of the d20 tells me how good or bad the weather is. And if it's in the middle, it can be up there. And so then I say to the players, roll 3 d twenty four, like, th- three different people roll d20s and give me whatever order you want. Um, this then dictates three different aspects, which I, d- I run. There's more aspects to weather, of course, but there's temperature, wind, and precipitation in my world, in my simple scheme, which is one through 13 is a normal temperature 14 to 16 is unusually cold for that environment and 17 through 19 isn't usually like hot like in a jungle it's not going to start snowing but there could be a chill breeze in a moment where this be like where the oh i mean it would be insane freak i love fantasy settings well sure through magic it's anything's possible but normally no um it would probably just be a nice cool day um the sun is hiding, you know, it'll be, it's, it's a bit of a chill as you're bathing, and people like, it's a little odd, or unusually hot, it's hotter than normal, and a, a normal temperature can still be blazing hot, I mean, if you're familiar with Hong Kong or any place near the equator, a normal day in the summertime can be blazing hot, you know, um, which may itself constitute a exhaustion saving throw, um, then on the wind side, uh, there's light, strong, extreme um, the 20s give extremes, um, of course, on this, with extreme winds having their own rules as well, if you're traveling and familiar with these rules. And extreme rain slash snow also having its own rules, like such as
1: disadvantage on certain perception checks now, do you, or range attack rolls, etc. No, for the weather, do you, they just wake up in the morning and the weather is what the weather is. Or does the weather change throughout the day? Um, the weather, it, it, it depends, I feel, on the roll. I mean, they can wake
0: up to a fresh blanket of snow, right, during winter, or they can wake up from the, you, the, you wake up to the howling storm, you know, winds, or you're awoken by a crack of thunder, etc., which can put it out the gate, but sometimes it's like you can see storm clouds on the horizon. You try to trek before they catch up, but by midday, the snow is thick and the winds are heavy. Um, but the players can't just choose to stop, you know, and then they're just delaying their journey further, you know, in hopes for weather. And often they make the decision okay, do we push through and risk exhaustion or do we, you know, rest for another moment, um,
1: which may draw other eyes. Like, to I, often, I often sort of wonder as well, like, the idea of like, I mean, do you break your day up into, like, multiple sections for each no. of the day, or is it just one sort of go? It's all one go, unless there's encounters, at which point
0: things start to happen. But I never have people because roll for weather more than once in a day.
1: Right. Um, so, sort of thinking, like, there's a there's a sort of way it's to like do dynamic forecast. weather as sure. well, where, again, often we try to think of where is a, an opportunity for a nature or survival type thing where you have the ability the to recognize the weather and what it's com- and what's coming. Mm. What I do then, um, if
0: a player tries to do that, because I've had that before, a druid craft cantrip would do a similar thing if they try and do the cantrip to try and detect what the weather will be yeah, in the yeah. future. What I do is I have them roll immediately as they make the check, depending on how well they succeed. And then, you know, those 3d20, then I write it down, knowing, okay, the next day will be fairly windy, not much rain, etc. Um, narratively, it can be a little jarring to have, like... Blizzard, nothing. Blizzard, nothing. Luckily, my players happen to, like, roll four, five, six, two, you know, like lots of blizzards happening at once, and then sort of an eye of the storm before it returns again, you know? Find ways to narratively explain it, or if it's unnatural, make it feel unnatural. Make it feel like nature is unforgiving and cruel
1: and strange and, you know, unknowable. So you you basically, for these ones, you're you're making... More or less the weather, the source of conflict. Totally. It's one source of conflict, but there's much more that happens, too. Right, what else do you add in? The first factor is
0: weather, of course. Higher roles mean good weather, but not necessarily mean good days either. Uh, the second aspect, depending on the role, uh, determines perhaps either another role or another effect that happens. Uh, and any of those can include encounters, which are Run-ins with monsters, usually confrontations, but there's some chances that they're not. It's mostly me going to Xanathar's environmental tables to roll for monsters that they encounter, which they can parlay with if they're more intelligent or feed meat to or try and dissuade or run away from. There's many ways to play with that, but it's less usually a conversation and person on their journey and more a monster looking for a snack to eat. Uh, There's monuments, which are typically non-magical, although if I'm feeling like... I want it to be a little bit more wondrous, I can put some magic into it. Otherwise it'll just be a a piece of lore about the land that they're surrounding by and I can usually improvise that on the fly. Uh, I've got a little table to help me and we can, I mean a, a quick example, say they would to end up on the monument. Uh, They could come across a sealed burial mound or grave, which would be of some important figure in the region, perhaps, if they hadn't a good enough history check. Or they don't even make a history check, and they learn a little bit of information about the world they're surrounded by. This is less to make it be like, whoa, everything here is magical, and more a little bit like, oh, here's a little bit of lore. You know, if they didn't know what it was, maybe they'll get back to a town next time they can and do a little bit more research and uh, learn a little bit more about the region. Or if they come across people, they can talk about what was that, you know? Um, Or... Often it's a very nice space, space to rest, you know, um, a nice little in like cave with uh, certain carvings in it. You know, is probably was occupied by other people at some point. We would be a nicer camp space during the dead winter, you know,
1: etc. How do you do? How do you deal with like navigation and like map making? Do they have? Do you have like navigators and cartography skills? Do they get bonuses on like survival mm. checks? It do becomes they, an issue they if they, ever they get, get lost? lost. It becomes an issue if they get lost. How do they get lost? in your game it would be through usually poor weather
0: or a fight derailing them off their main trail um, you know like
1: rules is written suggests like a dc 15 for just not getting lost in the woods
0: i, I well again this then goes to the point of not wanting traveling to last forever yeah. there's a part of a story and there's a chance that players can get lost
1: i always of felt that was like a pretty high dc right it's like True. suggested difficulties of land navigation right? DC5 is following a road and road signs, which is hilarious. Like you roll a one and suddenly you're like, Hey, how'd I get off the road? How did like, I mean, come on, following a road should be like, like impossible to fail. Mm. And I mean, if the road disappears on you somehow, or peters out or becomes a a little donkey trail through the woods or up a mountainside, I mean, I can see, Mm. yeah, then it's like, Oh, well, this is different. But if it's just a main road with road signs, I suppose you could hit a fork in the road and take the wrong turn. Totally. I mean, those um, are the all was broken possibilities, or you know? And that could be a DC five.
0: And I mean, it even happens like an encounter could throw them off. Like a, a monster could tumble them down the hill, and suddenly they have no idea where they are, and they have to try and like refine their it, way it's back. It's just toward, a DC you know, ten landmarks. It's
1: just a DC ten for following game trails through a forest that you know well. Right. I I give it no That's role. That's like a 50-50 chance of like oh. I'm, well, if
0: you have no bonus, I'm lost. Yeah, Hopefully, you're there's right. one player. Hopefully, with somebody's got some something. Some bonus, super survival. Um,
1: and then like a DC-15, making your way through a wild area that you have no, uh, little knowledge of landmarks, right? True. Which is what most of the time adventuring we're doing. It's very true. I mean,
0: I never really put too much emphasis on getting lost. I always consider it a possibility. If there's poor weather conditions, consistent storms, it's sometimes hard to see where you're going and you can easily get lost. Um... Alternatively, like I mentioned before, a monster can throw you off the path. A monument can perhaps distract you from your main goal, and you lose sight of where you're going. A locale can magically, you know, induce some form of teleportation or shifting in the, you know, the sands that take you somewhere you didn't mean to go, or you fall through some sort of pit, you know, fall set up through the snow, and suddenly you're in this cavern. You don't know where you are. All of these things are possible. NPCs could again lead you astray, um, but these things I consider. So, so when I
1: what I like to do. I never really like to, what I like I to do know, is lost, if you've I'm got, sure. if you've got, uh, anybody who takes or gets, uh, either navigator or cartography right. skills, um, you get plus five bonus for each of those things. So if one person in the party has got navigator tools and the other cartography, they can work together, uh, each roll a, a D 20 and both add the, the bonus mm. of the other person, like they're working together. So it's a plus 10. So the idea, if you've got somebody who's a map maker and somebody with a compass, um, you're rolling together with advantage. Yeah, I mean, the worst you're going to get is an 11. So you're probably on the more basic ones, not going to get lost. But the chance of getting lost is suddenly much, much, much lower. And you're right. Yeah. You've got, um, and on top of that, you can make this as a survival check, uh, which means you may have a bonus plus your wisdom plus proficiency modifiers or things if you've got a skill in it. So suddenly your chance of passing that DC 15 becomes reasonably good. Mm. Um, and I, I, why do I do this? Simply because somebody in the party has those skills. Right. And those skills often never come up otherwise. Mm. So it's lovely to be able to create a situation where you can describe and let them role play a little bit the fact that they have sure. these skills and tools. And then typically my, like the way
0: I rule it, is that it becomes something that I consider when players want to try add out, you know? I start adding rules to it once it becomes a part of my game, you know? And hopefully I'm given a little bit of time to prepare. Usually between sessions, I know traveling's coming up. I want to kind of do a little bit more for this. Let's add traveling. Then as traveling started, people saying, I want to try and forge for this. I kind of bluff it the first couple times and then think, okay, let's reconsider this. Then look for or add certain specific forging rules, you know, um, to aid what the players want to do. And that was sort of the purpose behind me making this traveling system. In terms of what can happen, there is, I have a a constant in the background Colossus tracker. If you've listened to previous episodes, there's big monsters in my world. Uh, Traveling through the wilderness is the easiest way to come across them. There's really no other way to, besides luring them, trapping them. It's mostly, if you're traveling, you come across them eventually. Um, Players are allowed often to evade doing it, but then it keeps ticking, ticking, ticking until they come across perhaps a bit of a bigger threat, or more threats, or etc. Uh, that then builds on this Colossus tracker that I keep track of every day, um, and certain roles can add to it. Some days are better than others, certainly, you know, like driving down the chance of interacting or coming across one of that building tracker in the background that they, the players don't know of, um, or it adds to it um, often. Uh, There's encounters, which I said before, you know, monsters, monuments, locales are magical in nature, Um, different from monuments, can be very similar, like both could be statues, but one of them, you know, grants information or, you know, bestows a spell or pours, you know, healing potion from its like bleeding eyes or something you know if i want to be a little bit more creepy with it etc um there's like crystal caverns which can answer any one question you know boulders carved with talking faces you know a wishing well you know how far do i want to go with that who knows but fun concepts you know and they can lead into conflicts as well like i one time they rolled uh, a canyon containing a dragon's graveyard and they dealt with You know, baby dragons that were kind of scared. Absolutely. Didn't
1: know what to do. This this is, I mean, this is an idea that I like to call secrets on on the trail. Right. And it's, it's absolutely. That's what a lot of the system is. Yeah. And it's, it provides that sense of wonder, Mm. you know, when it comes to traveling. That's my goal. And breaks up the monotony. If it's just weather, eh. Um, Something else actually you mentioned there that made me sort of think, I was thinking about the weather there for a second. We were talking about forecasting it a bit. Mm. Um, Also, the idea of if you had, Perhaps navigators' tools, or again, I, I try to try and find ways to put tools into the game because tools mm. can be sick. Like, Why True. did I get so these? They're so boring. Yeah. Um, but people who've got skill sets like that, to be able to say to them, oh, you, um, or again, maybe the Druidcraft as well. I know the Cantrip doesn't say, you know, long range forecasts, but the idea that you could perhaps pre roll uh, mm. weather for the next couple of days. Uh, or decide that the storm that is coming is going to be a big one. And then that kind of creates a different sort of day. If you have a day where you know the next two days that they're going to be, you know, shut down. And you could cross over that with a hand wave, but that makes that one day of exploration then much more of a a scramble to get to shelter or to find some place to... Uh, and then those two yeah. days could be spent doing something funny in the in the shelter, like maybe you find or a cave that's... if the
0: party's debating, do we go out now? There might mm. be a storm coming. You know, what do we do? No problem. Pull up Druidcraft or make that survival check based on what I think the weather might be like based on patterns or whatever, how you ever you want to roll it. And that's often why I allow nature as an intelligence check, because it may be able to recall weather patterns based on whatever sure. or regional things that happen depending on the year. Of course, there's variability and... Instinct can sometimes be a little bit better, like oh, I feel it in my knees, you know, so like a an old wizard might like be like, a I feel. Like wisdom, nature in my check, knees, you, you know, um, or no, that's what survival is, no. I yeah, mean, I guess it is, right? True, but I I allow players to often do either rather than just survival. Um, but this is an idea it, it's, as well it's either that relies isn't, upon intelligence that and calling or instinct, which is
1: wisdom. Right? But there's a there's a something that in D and D that a lot of DMs don't always do, which is the change out the ability score that's connected to a particular skill mm. right so true you're right i mean survival is a very particular type of of thing but you might want And to, it's one of the few examples where there's almost skills that exist for both stats like you know imagine doing like a constitution survival check well that maybe is more feeling it in your knees <laughs> you know constitution survival is like is how do you really huddle down against the the cold like it combines some skills but also maybe there is just a hardiness to it i don't know i think there is some fun ways as a dm depending on what the situation is where again these are all these are all like having these ideas in in your head allows you because you're rolling the dice and it's going to be random what comes up to improvise in the moment to come up with like oh well, let's do something kind of cool or different with this let's play around right with something uh that happens that you know, I didn't prep that it's just part of the journey. How much of the journey is prep for you? Like, is it all random? I know how many days there will be. I know right. what time of year it is. And do you, is your days based on distances? Do you have like a set thing or do you just kind of? Well, yes, it? I, I typically I'll, will
0: determine how far the party has to go.
1: Is there a and slow, then I have a little track. Do you ever do like a slow, normal or fast pace? Or is it just one pace? Uh, of...
0: I ask the players. I mean, I know people say that mounts don't make you go any faster. Um, which is theoretically true in real life. I do say to players, if you were to purchase mounts, which is a hassle if you have to deal with monsters and rough terrains and and blizzards, which can easily kill your mount if you're not careful, Uh, mudslides as well can whip them away. Unless they're magical. I have a paladin with fine steed, and um, it means they can't go faster, though. I mean, Mm. solo travel is often faster than group travel. You know, um, yeah. if the whole party chose to gain well, you, horses, I would cut down
1: time. Yeah, by quite I mean, a, I think you can. Amount. I think you can travel at a faster pace and maintain your your level of, of passive perception on mounts in a way right. that if you were running yourself, well, you're definitely sure. you're definitely your perception level is going to be going down because you're spending more time scrambling and mm. watching the ground and things like that. I often ask players are really how, how fast is, is the party you're... traveling?
0: If they maintain a, a constant speed, it's hard for them to be really surprised unless something super sure. stealthy and they you know they make good pace like a one day for one day's travel yeah. right where if they're speedy they can perhaps overcome some obstacles cut some time down right. um, but in exchange it could mean you know r- pushing exhaustion um, if you're really taxing yourself to try and move yeah. faster than what is average well or that's expected. part
1: of it I mean the especially if you're the carrying rules, a lot the of rules monster are essentially that as you push past uh, extra hours of travel you start making constitution saving throws and um... or I mean enough with
0: this rolling I mean at some point you gotta get you gotta tucker yourself out if you push yourself too
1: much not my barbarian he's very strong true, true.
0: <laughs> But then I say okay what's what are your guys constitution scores you can move this many more before you gain a little exhaustion is then how I would play something like that sure on the fly right I might if I had more time make a custom rule for that but that's how I would probably think of it uh, in terms of NPCs, I have my own little table system as well about what is the potential for, you know, rather than just a D20 weird locale or monument, which are just, you know, I typically, I roll, if I, if it's already happened, I take, like, one adjacent, and then I try and tweak it to make it feel unique to the region. Like, uh, the other day, I rolled totem pole on a um, monument and turned it into, like, a, a strange, you know, ca- like, totem pole with, like, carved with three different colossus heads, and, um, depict you know depicted in it with gemstone eyes you know and it was they like oh, i detect magic and it's like oh it's got three different you know spells for like you know one for each layer and they had this whole like deciphering trying to pick it apart without activating the the whole trap and it was that was you know sounds a little you know just like a pit stop could be a waste of time but hey they made a lot of money on it they thought whoa that's so cool random what's this doing out here? ties into the lore, you know, makes them wonder. They did more research later. And I, between sessions, came up with a reason why that wasn't, you know, why that was or wasn't there. And this is,
1: and I like how you've tailored this. It was one of our earlier episodes of of this podcast over a year ago when we started talking about, um, you know, random encounters are not truly random, that Mm. they're curated lists, right? That we don't, you don't just in your world happen to come across, you know, something that doesn't make sense. True. For that space, so you you make your own list of things. You have you know story, you know hooks with each one of those that connect it back to why it's you know why it could be there, or as a piece of foreshadowing of something to come, or a callback to something that already has happened. That makes for good random mm. encounters. They're only random in the sense that as a DM you don't want to have to plan too much of it, um, besides just having having the prompt. In some of my favorite. Moments
0: have come from them rolling a random NPC and it becoming a long-term character, (laughs) which is very recently happened.
1: Well, that's only that's a testament to how good your your role playing is because what players fall in love with typically is when you make a fun character. Well, it's if you Um, make
0: any character that's kind of cool that doesn't immediately attack them, and they'll fall in love with
1: it. That's what I. Well, I think if you make them really boring, if you don't give them a good voice or a good name, if you make them kind of really bland or generic. Um, they often forget peasants and commoners, yeah. um, but they will very much so
0: remember other hunters, soldiers, spies, mages they come across, which there's all a chance for. Um, I typically... It's, it's one of the more, like, role-heavy aspects, so I try not to do it too much, especially if they're up in the frozen north. Like, who in their right mind would be traveling midwinter through the mountains? No one. But eventually they do come across an NPC as spring begins. There's a reason for their travel that I try to th- start to piece together, uh, as they begin to, like, shape it, and I al- there's always, like, sort of a process of how they begin to discover. They roll the first D-100. Um, as they see a figure down the road, should it be, you know, this D-100 determines the race of the creature for my world. There's only human, elf, half-elf, uh, dragon lineages, and uh, goblins. So there's not really a lot of variability. Most of the time, it'll be a human or elf. Some of the time, it might be a half-elf, dragon, or goblin. They rolled a human, and so it's, like, you see a humanoid figure walking down the road. Um, they go, oh, that's sort of interesting. Uh, what, are the, what do they have? What's their attire? What do they have on them, et cetera? Are they traveling with anyone else? Okay, roll a D100 for me. This then determines their occupation. There is a 5% chance that it is a mage or a spellcaster, and they just happen to roll into that threshold. And so they, you see he's carrying a walking with a, a staff. Um, that has a you know, crystal at the end, they go, mm, it's perhaps a spellcaster you know, a, a smaller backpack and a long sort of cloak and robe over them. It's like interesting. Um, I, I go up and approach and say hello, okay, as they turn around, roll another D hundred, which then determines their disposition towards the party, you know, which is all made on the fly. You know, as this it goes from this figure like far out in the snow, this like silhouette to this now encounter. And I think, okay, just depending on the position and the race and the occupation, I mean, maybe a commoner has more of a, you know, general, so, soul, soul, I mean, more of a, you know, not super refined accent, you know, depending on where they're from as well. Like a human, I might go like, um, I, I might go some sort of dirty tapa you know, accent, even though the region is typically more European, but still, I go, I go crazy with accents, you know. Um, I feel like that's a rule. Don't think too about accents too much. Just have fun
1: with it. Yeah, I, I often for accents don't don't think the accent itself. Think the the character. Are they big? Are they fat? Are they short? Are they old? Are they right. nasally? Right, that's the Are determining they, factor, not and, the where they're from and necessarily. And the disposition and things like that. That's what all. Terms almost it. all you of know, those things to find Yeah, like a could be a
0: little bit more meat, or, or <laughs> oh, oh,
1: oh, help me like more helpless or yeah. whatever that I might do. Right. Or or that's become feels feeling too on the nose then just do like completely then completely turn the, it on its yeah. head yeah. and that's usually if, especially if you and people if then you need have a, a comic at sort of moment of some sort in the game if you want some levity having you know this tiny little girl with a really deep and growly voice is kind of always a, a you know a fun thing. Merchants twist. are a
0: little bit more mising in a way. Uh, soldiers are typically more brave-voiced, whereas spies are a little bit more whispery and in the way they speak. Hunters might also be a little bit more confident, but also a bit more and, and do you have
1: names also ready for all uh, of these? I do. Because Every race, that's... I have a,
0: a table that connects to Fantasy Name Generator. For humans, I have French names. For elves, I have Edo-era right. so, Japanese you're names. So you just got your laptop
1: beside you as you're playing this and you, it's just, all like, you just click and pull it up and then boom Random yeah. generate on the fly mm. names i mean i've got draconic have, is turkish i have a curated is Danish. that i have pre-generated and not that i have that many npcs in my game that are just being created on the fly mm. but you never know right things do pop up from time to time and it's always great i've got just got a list that i cross off as i use the names on it um and i've got like mine sort of split into like ones that are more upper crusty ones that are more working classy ones that are you know a little bit more you know rough or refined however you want to sort of define it and just sort of it helps that way a little bit as well picking uh the right sort of like having already like some ones that you've curated that you've like oh i really like these names that helps as Mm. well Uh, So often with that you already have a bit of an idea of what voice might go with particular names too yeah
0: exactly And then with that disposition, it can either be anywhere from they need help to are engaged in combat, perhaps either with the party or with some other monster in the distance. Um, And it could be if it's like if I didn't have that before where you just see the figure walking, suddenly you see another figure from the bushes beside you is releases and attacks this or that perhaps the, you see up in the road ahead they're ambushed or right, you know right. you then it's a call to action for the players to become heroes and well there's um, there's a couple things and there's then motivation behind just can they move surviving.
1: if they move slower can they like improve the chances of spotting an ambush like their passive perception go up do you ever play with there's, rules like that
0: there's rarely a chance of ambush if i know an ambush is coming i'll make it more of a point
1: yeah
0: otherwise they're not always i mean they're always on guard as To some degree, but they're never really always swords at the ready, you know, they always say to me, I draw my weapon, which makes me think that they're traveling, you know, ready to draw their weapon at any point where they're carrying it, but not to a point where it's always swords out, you know, backs to each other at all times. Um, which is again, if you've seen our traps episode, not necessarily what you want your players to be paranoid at all turns. Although, hey, if it's like a crazy Eldritch scary world
1: out there, yeah, that could be the, the right call. Your players are often also looking, like you said, for mm. these big colossus colossi. Often um, they're searching
0: for them. Many times they're do not. Have, <laughs>
1: do you have an ability to like tracking? Is something that's mm. that's suggested in the rules? Mm, it's a survival yeah. check. Typically, um, there is actually rules in the Dungeon Master's Guide for tracking. Um, do you do do they do you? play with much of that in your game often
0: i will pick up from the players that they're looking for something and then i will start planting clues regardless of if it would come up on a roll or not like i will use any excuse for a monument counter or encounter like you know locale etc that you see certain footsteps you know moving through the trees or you hear a rustling or you hear a cracking of branches in the distance which pretty easily reveals the direction these are not sneaky creatures. Uh, these are big colossal forces of nature almost that pass through places it's pretty easy to you know follow it you know often you're trying to avoid a hurricane not walk right into it but hey there are hurricane trackers and there's ways to track colossus as well i mean understanding what luring it does many times it's just aggravating it and it will happily chase you um. Other times, it might be a certain type of food.
1: Any type of food, really. If you're,
0: if you know how to lure a, a tarasque, you know how to lure most colossi.
1: So the Dungeon Master's Guide gives a a table for tracking DCs. Soft surfaces such as snow is a DC 10. And I don't know. I grew up in Canada where there was lots of snow. I'll tell you, you don't need DC 10 uh, to find footprints in the snow. Yeah. Like especially if there's obvious. a lot of if there's nothing else that has been traveling in that area, mm. footprints are. Pretty obvious. Well, again, colossi leave giant wrecks of trees, there, like, <laughs> and they're like stomps. They're hardly like the hardest thing to spot. Ruined vegetation, um, and you know it says uh, dir- a dirt, dirt grass grass. The DC fifteen, barren stone to DC twenty, and then each day since the creature passed is an extra uh, plus five to the True. DC. Sometimes
0: they are looking for smaller, uh, but specific if the creature has left a trail, such
1: as blood, or in your case, mm. you know destruction says minus five yeah maybe <laughs> auto more. success i mean yeah it's at that point why it's do we need how to much, roll how much time you're going
0: to sacrifice looking for this thing it becomes a real and again, concern i i it's you know, more of inevitable. A, something
1: we ask long? a lot of the time as well is like do i need to make my players really roll for this hmm. um, is that important to the story uh is there consequences
0: look if my players want an encounter to happen and i want an encounter to happen i'm not going to roll to see if it happens you know sure. it's going to happen but what about you know? say foraging though Forging. Very glad you brought that up, because there is very much so a chance that, uh, say, on a bad weather day or on a day where nothing of note really happens or where they've already come across a bunch of monuments, and I think, let's change it up a little bit. Yeah. You don't come across any insane monuments. There's not, you know world's largest donut around every corner you know mm. it on like the road but there may be a fun little flower or thing you come across especially if you have a ranger or person foraging for themselves in your party consider dropping this from time to time i love to use the king's mill uh, materia medica supplement which yeah, is you, free on youtube you've been talking about this for a while. um youtube on uh, well, it was on YouTube that sent me to this GM binder document. Oh, right, right. Um, I can't remember the channel. I wish I did. But, Just look but, up like we forging. We could, we could drop and a you'll link for this. that
1: in uh, in the description below. It is not
0: mine. I
1: but, wish I could take but credit. You have for a it, link for it, so we can put. I that do in, have a link for. We can put that in the episode. I here.
0: very much so appreciate it. It's not paid. It's free to use. Uh, they even have accommodation for colorblind people as well, because it uses coloring mm. systems for poisons and medicines. This is really um, for people who brew medicines and poisons, which is, you know, you could theoretically also say food and chef is also that, and then just yeah. add that to this list. Seriously, I mean, it's just think about things that are normally in, you know, ingredients or use any of these things that are mentioned as, oh, you know, this is a nice spice or a nice thing in this flavor. Make a quick list of different spices that can come across uh, very similar to this. And the, the thing I love is that it is. Does all seasons for all environments except uh, in Mrs. Hills, but that's okay. Uh, just use like grassland or mountain or something adjacent, or forest even. Which I really enjoy, uh, appreciate. Uh, during winter, it's really hard to think what would people come across, you know. And it's hard to just have a list of a hundred plants like that you just can make or like like things they come across that could be useful for some sort of medicine or foraging purpose, mm. right? Um, I think people are like DMs are really afraid to tackle the idea of poisons and we'll just be like okay well there's these poisons you can buy them yeah foraging whatever whatever, generic you come across some whatever flower I don't know you pick it make a poison for me make a roll boom you made it done you know mark a use off of your poisoners kit 50 GP down the drain there you go you know you got three doses of poison you know but instead this offers a little bit more complex without like taking all the work almost out of it really uh, making it super intuitive which is what i like very modular which is one of my favorite things about this um say give me any environment uh that you're familiar with well i just say forest forest classic uh let's say you maybe it's it's fall time in the forest right sure. uh it's in in barovia i know seasons are never really that extreme per se i mean winters may be harsh but They're it's never really that. sunny
1: i mean it yeah no you don't get summertime
0: Um, But we're in the forest during fall, and there's this whole list of, depending on the survival DC, what your players can find. So say your ranger gives you a high DC, say they're high enough level where they get a very good roll. Let's even put it somewhere close to 17, right? They may find um, any of the following, you know, a a primrose mistletoe. Tree thief, belladonna, deadly nightshade, uh, fly agaric—you know, f- uh, fairy stool, which is just or a dead death adder—you know. Uh, this combines, you know, fauna and flora to some degree, which I think forging
1: can be. Um, Absolutely, I think people underestimate the idea of things like going fishing beehives, or you know, you like, know hunting a, a you know small sure. game like rabbits or deer or something. The nice
0: thing about this as well is that it gives. Like a, a little description, if you're not quite sure what is Uh you can just say, a widespread ring of bright red toadstools with white polka dots mark a circle on the forest floor. Oh, like Smurf houses. Yeah, like little, like those, like little mushrooms with white and red. You know, it's like those people del- can identify that. I'm sure those that must be delicious. Right. And then it tells you how it's used. (laughs) Poison. (laughs) Whole fungus, if it's ingested. Whole fungus, if it's inhaled. I mean, it gives you ways how it might be manipulated or used, which is then, you know, information you give to a player depending on their survival role or their nature check when he's analyzing it. Um, Or, hey, this picks up your ranger's attention. This is kind of a thing that you know can be used as a poison. And then it tells you right here what the poison might do. Poisoned, uh, sleep in five minutes, you know, or just straight up, if it's inhaled, it puts people yeah. to sleep. I had I had a player you know? in my
1: game who came in very similarly. He, I would do
0: this often, but I do this from time to time. He
1: had uh, he had this thing he wanted to be uh, sort of a Cara Tour type, mm-hmm. uh, Eastern medicine style monk. Um, and there's plenty of medicine things and, here as well. And took a herbalism kit and put uh, in proficiency in medicine. And so throughout the game, I added into my random encounter lists the opportunity for them to bump into rare herbs and ingredients that they could collect along the way if they so rolled. um, They could just have easily have rolled for a pack of wolves. But, you know, they got lucky and managed to to pick up these things. So you were moving Mm. that. So for me, I would just make that part of the travel role especially if they were doing off-road travel especially you, off-road for it, you you're often you're miss moving it if they don't do it. you're moving that into like so Foraging becomes another section of your day essentially then right true i mean a, a lot
0: of the, the player didn't want to buy rations and i said as a ranger with like the outlander background or wanderer or whatever it was yep. that you can just for you can feed yeah. yourself every day it basically day.
1: says that yeah if you're an outlander you
0: can you just can literally like it's in the background you can feed yourself every day I'll give you that. If you want to feed other people, make a survival check for me. You know, yeah. And he's got great survival, um, and so often he takes over twenty-three, and I go, and rather than just hand waving, going, yeah, 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 you make food for everyone, I instead say, you find this ingredient, which you know can do this like thing. If you don't have mm, as much poisons and are more medicine, there are many things like uh, in the it shows like in the color coding, green things are poisons and red things are medicines, right? Yeah. Um. And just look at the, the red list. Like, the highest one up here is primrose, you know, a small dome of green leaves and butter-colored petals. You go, oh, that's nice. And then it says, what is here? If it, it the flowers can be turned into or infused within a wine or within some form of um, salve, perhaps. I mean, depends on the thing that you find. And here it says major wound restorative. You know, it could be act similar. I mean, I know some people have, like, create the, like, key to a certain lock with medicine. Like, if you give your players a disease and then you make a what I flower to heal them, right? Sure. Which exists for things like sewer fever already in um, the yeah. DMG. But I like to almost, like, use this to make it feel like there's no real purpose. These things exist, you know? Not for... I mean, of course, it serves a purpose in the game, but there's no reason story-wise this exists besides that it's nature. You know, things Ooh. are growing around. And that... A, a ranger yeah, so it, finds like it. My stuff know? when,
1: like, if disease shows up, it's often because it, it's part of a, it creates a side quest. Right. And it um, certainly can. I have side quests, including them foraging for certain things. But That, and again, a lot of that isn't, you know, that, that sort of is just part of how D&D mm. stories kind of spontaneously become their own thing. Um, I just wanted to mention as well a little bit in foraging. I think it's Xanathar's has a food and water availability list uh, where it says where abundant food and water sources are like the DC's 10 for foraging, which is pretty easy. Um, which goes to give you an idea that like, that in D and D it's, it's not supposed to be hard. To, to find, find yourself food. yeah um, I mean you can make it hard so even without the outlander it, feet eh, you're probably still okay but then you could be in a situation mm-hmm. where there's limited food or water and this again depending if like the you're dungeon, in a dungeon there's not gonna be abundant food well, you know? no or if you're out in the, the snow in some sure, arctic there's place there's always options though I mean, the thing it, I love it, about is this some. is that there's a,
0: a list of what you can find in the snow you sure. know like right here it's like you know during the winter what do you find up in the mountains and so I click on winter mountains and there's a very short list and that DCs suddenly go up very quickly yeah. For like DC 23, 20 to f- like find these high level items and like crossing DC 15 to high you know, find low to mid tier items, you know, which I think is kind of interesting, you know. Like, one here, I mean, they ran into a, like, they they saw a hooded shrike fluttering by, which you you see a bird uh, striking a combination of black and orange plumage fluttering between the trees. Like, we track it down, all right, now that actually requires a roll. They, you know, shoot it through the air, you know, with a, a nice roll, and they get the... Um, the skin and the feathers, which upon contact can, you know, do some generic poisoning. to like, oh, that's kind of fun. Or they come across certain, you know, cone flowers, which they know can do certain... Th- Again, there's so much here that you can use as, like, a material, like, for, like, rather than just relying on just only healing potions heal you like there's so many natural curatives out there that don't just have to be hit point restoration that can be improving what hit dice can do you know encouraging players to take more short rests in between or to do other things they can
1: get another bonus and all that stuff you continues know, AC, to save add bonuses etc wondrous resistances. vibe to your to your world building mm. that you know if you start to layer these in and as a dm You know, and I have to give give you you know full applause for using something like this. It it is a lot of extra work to have to. I know you're you're saying it's not because it's a random table, Um, but it's extra work in the fact that you've got to keep it in mind of what's going to happen and then be able to improvise with it on the spot. Um, But I think it's worth it. I mean, players tend to respond really well to Mm. these sorts of things. It creates a sense of like the of immersion and detail in the world that is. much greater than the hand waving okay two days later you show up wherever you know mm. like you going through and discovering little things like this and stuff that happens along the way truly does like from a player's perspective like when i'm in a game that does that sort of thing i feel like you know wow like the the dm's world building is amazing um where again like you didn't actually well, plant every flower in that world you no. just created a chart that allowed it to to happen sure. if it was going to happen um, and so I think that's exciting. And it's and I exciting
0: think, for me as well. I mean, I yeah, you're never right. really as a DM, what can as a
1: DM, you know, random generating stuff and improvising is great fun. It's super uh mm.
0: i'm often actually unsatisfied yeah. by most by monster encounters and battles those yeah, are the, the least that you've, satisfying you've prepped, things uh, yeah. to me not, uh not yeah. not even that i've prepped that just come up randomly based on the other like oh, things from mean, the like, books when you're... like often during winter i would go okay it comes across an encounter i'll just go to the arctic table i ask them to roll a d4 often to see what kind of level encounter it can go anywhere from super dangerous sure. to a walk in the park And I adapt it to then, if it's a walk in the park, let's make it less of a kill each other type fight and make it more of a, you know, let's talk this out, you know, let's figure out what's going on here, you know, type of thing. Like a bandit cambit, uh, sorry, a bandit captain and with 2d6 bandits, what does that mean? That could mean that there's, perhaps they have their own camp and perhaps they start ambushing the players but can be talked into a standstill you know and they learn to share with these bandits or learn what their story is or maybe they're the victims of whatever other story thing that's going on in this world easily and I just like literally just scroll down and saw it says nine uh, you know on the random results it would be rolled even if I like if the players rolled like 85 which is you know supposed to be 1d3 winter wolves I don't really want to go through the whole hassle of setting up a map just to f- kill 1d3 winter wolves let's go- do this thing that i actually am inspired by a revenant why is it a
1: revenant let's learn a bit about its story speak with dead hmm. you know again my, to my point earlier really, like don't don't just make lists of big lists of random things curate a list of stuff that well
0: it's this is all random i know but i've learned or i, I suppose as a dm you learn to you know adapt um, one of my favorite ones is uh, on level 5 to 10 that nearly came up was a half-orc druid tending to a polar bear. There's no orcs, so I'd make that a half-elf druid instead. Tends to her injured polar bear. What the heck?
1: Yeah, I think as a DM, you got to remember life That's short. That's so cool. Yeah, play the stuff you want to play. Don't don't play something just because the dice, you yeah. know, said okay. Well, you got to fight. Yeah, have something boring. Yeah. Um, do the do the interesting encounter. Nobody's nobody's gonna dislike your your DM style if, because you kept it interesting. Mm, Absolutely. And there's things like, I mean, in the winter, there's
0: things like, you know, high walls of ice, et cetera, you know, that I love to experiment like with what that like especially can happen, really get into the environment, especially if you're going off the beaten path. It's it's one of my favorite aspects of play that I often for a long time just whatever, forget about it, you know, and a lot of this, like even my monument table, I rip straight out of DMG as well. That's taken right from DMG and tweaked a little bit to suit my place, my my own playstyle. Same with weird locales, stripped right out of DMG. Um, a lot, like I made up my own NPC one, um, but it's very much so based on things that already exist. Like the whole idea of uh, encounter scaling from anywhere from friendly to hostile when talking with people. Sure. You know, the the mage they came across was hostile at first, but through negotiation, they learned a little bit about their story and. You know, now have a staunch ally, you know, going from this, like, previously very frustrated mage traveling through the north trying to get back to Kiel, the main city, and they gave them, you know, a a wizardly book in exchange for, you know, information or goodwill, and um, they just went on their way, and it's, like, one of those, like, okay, now we know this person, this contact in the future, you know, even if that was completely random, this gives me stuff to work with as a DM, you know, to then make it feel like, okay, now they're a, a part of this world, you know, they know people here, they pick the flowers, they, you know, smell the the, whatever, they have, the breeze, the stench of, you know, the caves and the sulfur and the whatever that might be in the environment, right, that they can sense, right? I really give that, like, sense that, like, you can't see through the thick snow or you hear the howling echoes through the mountains or the, you know, you feel your sweat stick to your skin as you pass through the, the blazing deserts or whatever you might be doing, right? But that's, I suppose, my goal is to make that feeling that, you know they are a part of this world, and it excites them. It excites me. I mean, that's why I love doing traveling.
1: Yeah, that's all what this third pillar of exploration is all about, right? Yeah. Um, well, thanks I for joining us, folks. I think that's you know all the time we've got for this week. We yeah. can keep going on and on because exploration is like that. Um, it's there's, so versatile. There's in what could no happen, limit you know? to how I mean, far right you now,
0: I honestly, we could do. I, I mean, people often do one shots, which are just you know, battle that or like they're in town, but like travel maybe one day, battle, that's it. You know? Yeah. I'd be interested to see a camp like a one shot that's like ten days of getting through this grueling thing, you know, just to arrive at a location, you know, and making that traveling super rich with foraging and dangerous and, you know, environments and yeah. you know,
1: Maybe you're, learn uh, maybe you're, each just, other you're and, escorting somebody or something.
0: Or some sort of escort quest, certainly. And yeah. very make it like a, very much so a Lord of the Rings, the journey, like the adventure is the journey, you know? Yeah. Not the killing of the monster, but the getting to where you're supposed to go, you know? Yeah. Uh, and monsters come along the way. Yeah. Or not. Maybe or it's, not.
1: It's just poisonous
0: mushrooms. Or maybe it's just poisonous mushrooms. All right, folks. Thanks for joining us this week. Enjoy this week's episode of Exandria Unlimited if you're in the present and if you're in the future I hope you're enjoying campaign
1: three uh and hey yeah don't don't be afraid to uh get out there and explore yeah
0: right now go into your local wilderness look for some red mushrooms
1: and gobble them up yeah yeah uh have a great week folks
0: see you later Bye bye